Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. But for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But for whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Thanks, Juliana and Emma and all the kids. These guys are going to go and uh, with a big sigh of relief, they're going to go have a party uh, to finish the year. So yeah, give them a big clap. Thank you. It's wonderful to acknowledge church of all generations and the God who loves all generations. Why don't we just uh, pray? We've read his word and let's ask that he applies it to our hearts. Father, we thank you for what we've just read uh, in the gospel, uh, the words of Jesus, challenging words, but Lord, so incredibly important. And we want to ask, Lord, that your spirit will take them and apply them deep in our hearts, uh, that Lord... Um, you'll work through our imperfections, uh, mine as the one speaking and, and all of ours as the ones hearing, that Lord, uh, you'll bypass them in so many ways and, and share your perfect truth with us. Uh, Lord, we ask that you will do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've uh, seen the critically acclaimed movie, The Shawshank Redemption, or perhaps you've read the novella by Stephen King, you might remember the moment in that story when the wrongfully accused felon, Andy Dufresne, he makes up his mind to do something about his predicament. There's a point where it's quite clear in his eyes, in his face, in his head. And among other things, he utters this very famous line, even if you haven't seen it, you may know this line. He says, I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. Get busy living or get busy dying. Now, while I could use that movie and the metaphor of prison to talk a lot about this life and the next, all I really want to do is just simply apply that quote with one small change. Get busy living and get busy dying, or get busy living by getting busy dying. We need to do both. We need to live to die, and we need to die to live. Two sides of the same coin. As I thought uh, over the last couple of months about what I would like to leave you with for my last two services, this this quickly rose to the top. This call to discipleship as dying to self 
and the life beyond death, the hope of eternal life, death giving way to life, including the reunions that come in all of that. And so this week we are considering living by dying, looking at the way of the cross as this passage is titled, which is Jesus' call to discipleship. And then next week, we're going to consider how dying is living by looking at Paul's claim that death is gain. Death is gain. It is, it is way better than anything in this life. To die is the best. And as we saw in the reading before, this is a calling. It's a calling. It's an invitation. It's a summons. It's a mission should you choose to accept it. It's a call to follow Jesus, an invitation to die. And so we're going to think this morning about, firstly, who's calling, secondly, who's being called, and then thirdly, what the call is. So who's calling? You might take for granted the answer to this question, but it really is the most important thing we can consider, the most important aspect of what's happening here. If you get an invitation to somebody's house or perhaps to some kind of event, the first thing you consider is who is this invitation coming from? Who is this person to me? Why are they asking me? What's it all about? And it goes the same when it comes to a life calling. And this call comes from Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, if we look back a little bit at the two short passages that come before this one in Mark chapter 8, which is a pivotal chapter in the book of Mark. Uh, In verses 27 to 30, Peter makes this confession that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. That is, he is the chosen one. He is the anointed and appointed one who ushers in a brand new kingdom. He is the saviour. He is the son of God. He is the biggest deal this world has ever seen. The one who calls us, the one who offers this invitation is God himself, the master of the universe. The king of kings, the lord of lords. Not just, you know, this is not just an invitation from another person or from an equal. This is an invitation from the sovereign, supreme God. But then in the next passage, just before this one, it's revealed that he's also the suffering servant. In verse 31 of Mark 8, Jesus talks about his inevitable suffering and death. This is what I must go through. This is his sacrifice, his rejection, his humiliation, his defeat, as well as his triumph. And so the one who calls us is the one who died for us. He's not, you know, some kind of king who sends peasants into battle and sits in the back line sort of in comfort and safety. He's the one who leads the charge and even does that on his own. He goes out on his own and he dies for his people. Our invitation to follow, it comes from the Saviour who takes our death upon himself. Who makes living actually possible. 
and die. This is who is calling us, the Lord of the universe, the Son of God, and the sacrificial Savior, the Lamb of God. So then who's being called? Well, it says there that Jesus called the crowds to him as well as the disciples. And the very first word that he utters is this word, whoever. Whoever. Whoever wants to be my disciple must. The call is for anyone. The call is for everyone. The call is for whoever is willing to accept what the call entails. And we'll come back to that in a moment. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for, you know, leaders and ministers. It is for all of us. As I've chatted with some of you about our call to leave Willow and to serve another church, to say goodbye and to face the unknowns of the future, I've often heard the comment, well, I guess that comes with the job. Or, well, that's ministry, I guess, isn't it? And it's true. It is part of the call to ministry. But the call to ministry and the call to discipleship are literally no different to each other when it comes to sacrifice. We are all called to deny ourselves, all of us, for the gospel. We are all called to choose sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying that Kath and I are shining examples of self-denial. We are far from it. Far from it. And we are still struggling in so many ways with the decision that we've made to leave and the farewells that comes from that, the unknowns that sit before us, and it hurts, it's, it's painful. But it's also true that we haven't made our decision just because there's family on the other side of the country or because we want to embrace an exciting change. We do it for the gospel and we do it for discipleship. And yes, that's the call to ministry. But as I've said many times, we are all called to ministry. Remember, we are ministers under Christ. A couple of years ago, prophets, priests, kings, every single one of us. This has been an emphasis of my teaching ministry here because I believe it is essential theology. It is incredibly important. Discipleship is a calling to ministry. It is a universal call. There is no divide between leaders and members because we are all, what, following Jesus. And we are all, as our vision says, leading each other. And we are all called to take up our cross. We are all called to die. And so this brings us to the next question. What's the call? Well, Jesus expresses it in three different ways in this passage. Deny yourself, lose your life, and don't be ashamed of him. So let's have a look at those. Verse 31, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Self-denial, taking up our cross, following Jesus. Where do we follow him to? 
heaven, yes, but where does he go with his cross? He goes to death. That is the way to life. See, self-denial is not some sort of religious asceticism. It's not, you know, a fast during Lent. It's not, you know, a New Year's resolution where you give something up. It's not a break from alcohol. It's not a diet of some kind. That's not self-denial. It's not self-degradation or some kind of monkish celibacy. It's not denying ourselves of certain things. It's denying our actual selves. It's dying to self. In fact, asceticism is often the opposite of self-denial. It is about self-earning religion. It is about self-proving Morality. It is so often as self-centered as as the most uninhibited indulgence. It's all about me. And this is why Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter 2, he says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental forces, spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Rules like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have Uh, to do with things that are all destined to perish with use. They are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any real value in restraining sensual indulgence. kind of thing is self-righteousness, not self-denial. And what does Paul say at the start of that passage? We died with Christ. As we read before, we died with him. Sorry, we didn't read this before. It was originally part of the plan that we did. But in Romans chapter 6, it says we died with him, we are buried with him, and we are raised with him. Self-denial is about dying to ourselves and doing it daily. Mark's version uh, doesn't have the word, but in Matthew's account, Jesus says it daily. Daily take up your cross. It is a daily death. That means that every single day, we should all be asking ourselves, how can I today follow Jesus to death? How can I do that? Is it a conversation that I have with my unbelieving colleague or neighbor? Is it the way that I've got to serve someone in the church community or somebody else that I know is in need? Is it this sneaky part of my identity that keeps coming and tempting me and I have to say no? Is it clapping your hands while in worship? It could be anything. can I die to me? If you do that every day, you will find it radically changes your life. But see, while the death part is always the same for all of us, the implications are different for all of us too. We are not all called to overseas mission. We are not all called to official leadership. We are not all called to vocational ministry. God uses us in every sphere of life. 
but we are all called to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Just because we're not in one of those callings doesn't mean we can say, that means I can live for myself. David Garland, who is a commentator, he says, every day we must open ourselves up to God's initiatives and control. Self-denial takes shape in many ways. For some, and maybe this is you, it may mean leaving job and family as the disciples have done. For the proud, and again, this may be you, it means renouncing the desire for status and honour. For the greedy, this could be you, it means renouncing an appetite for wealth. For the complacent, is that you? It means you renounce the love of ease. For the faint-hearted, this could be many of us. We'll have to abandon the craving for security and comfort. For the violent, we'll have to repudiate the desire for revenge. And on it goes. Individuals know best what hinders them from giving their lives over to God. And this is the call. You might remember that I've said this a few weeks ago. It's not just about living our lives. It is about giving our lives. That is what discipleship is, giving our lives, serving others, getting alongside others, discipling people, witnessing to people, sharing in the gospel together. And this is what Jesus equally expresses in the next three verses. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is counterintuitive stuff. If you try and cling to your life, and the harder you cling, the more you lose it. It's like if you are cupping water in your hands. If you try and close your hands over that water or grip it more tightly, it's gone. And with true life, real life, the only way to find it, to have it, to keep it, is to lose it, to lose this life. As Jim Elliott eloquently put it, and we considered this quote after looking at Psalm 91 a couple of weeks ago, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, what he cannot keep, to gain talk more about that gain next week. But this is the paradox of Jesus' kingdom. Death equals life. Life equals death. Living is dying and dying is living. And all we can do, as we've seen in the recent Psalms, is to surrender. To surrender. The second part of these verses, this middle section is like a a small parable. Now, what's the point of gaining the whole world if you lose your soul? What's the point of becoming CEO and making bucket loads of money if you don't have Jesus? What's the point of the nice house or the fancy car if it all rusts and breaks 
and you die with nothing. What's the point of having a big, happy, smiling family, perhaps at Christmas time, if none of them know eternity? Or you never talk about it. What's the point of your kids getting high marks or athletic trophies or great job prospects and yet they grow up thinking that Jesus is a side note? What's the point of great Bible knowledge or the perfect track record for church attendance? But there's no relationship with God. There's never any sharing Jesus with others and there's no fruit of any sort. What's the point of pointless? Jesus is saying. Don't forfeit your soul in the pursuits of this life. Don't do it. Give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Because lastly, Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And if you're sitting there and you're wondering whether any of your pursuits are the soul-forfeiting kind of pursuits, maybe just let your brain change gear for a second. Think about whether those pursuits match up with a shame of Jesus and the gospel. You know, in your work, do you keep your faith hidden from your colleagues? Or in your work, do you suppress gospel values to the point where you don't have to think about them so that you can keep driving towards selfish accumulation? In your family, do you choose to put faith and scripture and prayer to the side or as a low, low priority because you know what, it's a bit awkward or we're too busy? And there's other things to deal with. In your leisure, do you choose Binging and entertainment over relating to God and devotion. Because you're actually afraid of or ashamed of seeking him out. In the world, do you cling to your comfortable life by saying nothing about Jesus rather than losing your life by sharing the good news? And it's hard-hitting stuff, isn't it? But we have to face it. In the church, in our families, in our own lives, we are often ashamed of Jesus. But he urges us. He urges us to think about his return. And we'll do that even more next week to consider what we want to hear from him on that day. What do we want to hear from him? Do we want to hear a depart from me? I never knew you. You didn't know me, so I don't know you. Do we want to hear a well done, good and faithful servant? Take comfort in what lies before you. Will we wish that we had chased more worldly ambitions when we look back? Or will we wish that we had more frequently picked up our cross? Do we hope for eternal life 
or eternal death. Thomas Kempis, a uh, medieval theologian, who wrote about imitating Jesus, he writes this, it was a long time ago. He said, Jesus today has many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who carry his cross. Many who yearn for comfort, few who long for distress. Plenty of people he finds to share his banquet, few to share his fast. Everyone desires to take part in his rejoicing, but few are willing to suffer anything for his sake. There are many that follow Jesus as far as the breaking of bread, few as far as drinking the cup of suffering. Many that revere his morality, he was a good man. Few that follow him in the indignity of the cross. Many that love Jesus as long as nothing runs counter to them. Many that praise and bless him as long as they receive comfort from him. But should Jesus seem hidden or should comfort be replaced with suffering, they fall to complaining or become deeply depressed. Those who love Jesus for his own sake and not for the sake of their own comfort will bless him in times of trouble and heartache as much as when they are full of consolation. Which kind of disciple will we be? Will we be the fake kind? The dying kind who temporarily live and who cling to this life over all else? Or will we be the real kind? The living kind who temporarily die to themselves on a daily basis. To follow Jesus, we need to get busy living by getting busy dying. Don't run from that. Don't try to fight that. Embrace it. Surrender to it. Live by dying. And remember, going back to that first point, remember who is making the call. It is the Messiah. It is the Son of God. It is our Lord and Saviour. He goes before us. He shows us the way and he gives us the power to follow him. And thanks to him, we don't have to suffer the same way he does. And yet he raises us up with himself, giving us an abundance of life beyond anything we could possibly dream of. We'll talk more about that next week. Shall we pray? Father, we want to confess to you this morning that we so easily cling to this life. We refuse to deny ourselves, our selfishness, our old lives our own ambitions and instead we often deny you in the way that we live. We're ashamed of you. We hide you away. We pretend you're not there. 
confess, Lord, that we forget Jesus' call to take up our cross and follow him. We ask, Lord, that you'll forgive us. We thank you that the gospel is there because we fail. And so that you still save us. But help us to see, Lord, that we still need to surrender to accept your grace, to accept this wonderful gift of life. We, we need to die to ourselves. And Lord, we, we pray you would help us do that in our everyday lives. On a daily basis to die. To die to our selfishness. To die to our comfort. To die to our greed to die to our pride. Lord, to die to ourselves, we pray that you would help us instead to serve you and to serve others. Lord, we pray that you will give us life that comes after death. In Jesus' name.